0: Hello, the Intelligent Rebels. I'm currently with Jason Friedman. Hello, Jason.
1: What's up? Hello, Olivier. How are you? Well, super. That's awesome.
0: (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) So we are currently uh, close to Salt Lake City in Utah. And you, I mean, we met like maybe two years ago, one year and a half? I think longer. Longer than that, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's been about almost four years, actually.
0: Oh, wow. And, but it's really recently that I discovered the whole like impact
1: the story yeah. yes of your story and yeah, my story has been kind of hidden i don't tell a lot of people <sighs> right you're like very so you're getting like quite. the you're getting like the big expose right here for your fans
0: so it's like a worldwide exclusive interview the exclusive interview? Oh my yeah. goodness so Later. please pay attention okay <laughs> because jason you have uh, an amazing story because you created a, a business that basically went from zero to 150 million dollars in 12 years right
1: that is correct which is Awesome. (laughs) Yes, it
0: is. (laughs) Okay, so first, can you just like share with us a little bit of your history? Where do
1: you come from? Yeah, of course. So my background was in theater, and so I worked as a lighting designer. So like theatrical lighting for rock and roll shows for Peter Gabriel, Rush, Fleetwood Mac, Run DMC, and Public Enemy. And then I did a bunch of more legitimate theater tours for Men of La Mancha, Jesus Christ Superstar, Fiddler on the Roof. And I toured all over the world <clears throat> with these shows. And primarily, what I was doing was learning how to stage an experience, how to every night after night, have this show uh, become fresh and engage the audience and have them forget about uh, everything that was going on in their life and really be present, really be engaged in that story. So that's what's your job. That was my job, yeah. But so for example what did you do to do that? Well, it was about, you know, taking the script and really finding out how to make that script come to life. How do you make the words that are on the page become more real, become more engaging, uh be more compelling, right? I mean, anyone can uh write a few words on the page, but how do you make it come to life so that people believe in it, that they connect with it, that they they feel empathy and sympathy and they care about the characters, to bring mm-hmm. those characters to life.
0: But right. so did you ask actors, for example, to say these
1: words in a certain way, or you were just... Well, the directors did. I was in the, yes. the design side of that, so we were designing the the scenery and the lighting okay. and things like that. All right. And the actors and the directors were working with them to bring those characters to life. And our role was to support the story with the way the lights looked. So, you know, with Fiddler on the Roof, you know, he was in a very hot desert-type environment, so the way that the lighting and the angles of the light and everything tried to tell that story and make it feel hot. When you looked on stage, you felt the heat. So you know, to make things feel more realistic. Create an atmosphere. Exactly, exactly. Okay. Well said. So so that I did that for a while, and then um, I was given the opportunity to take that experience in telling stories in theater. and. Um, All of that and really bring that into the business world. And so we were approached by a company called Foot Locker, which is uh, at the time, I don't know if they are now, but they were the largest um, uh, athletic shoe retailer in the world. And they wanted to create uh, a new store. The internet, which we all love, obviously we're here on the internet now, but um, it was being so disruptive to retail. People were now starting to shop online where they never did that before. So stores- So what share was that? I'm sorry, that was uh, 1997. Okay, so just the beginning of- Right at the beginning of like online e-commerce. It was just starting. And most brands Mm -hmm. didn't even sell online, but they had sales. So they would have like flyers. So you would see their pricing all of a sudden online. So people stopped buying in this store because they heard that that other store had maybe a better price, right? So it was very disruptive to the retail industry. And so they wanted to create a store of the future to really engage their customers and have them have a better experience in the store and buy more shoes and other athletic apparel in the store. <clears throat> Excuse me. So our primary focus was on, on how do what does a customer care about when they come in? How do we really understand that customer and take them on a journey throughout the store and have them leave buying more uh, stuff and feeling better about that experience? But
0: so. How did you come from this job as like the atmosphere like engineer-in-chief to this because how how did they they found you?
1: Because well they found us because they were looking for a way to bring theater into the store they wanted to be so someone was creative in his company yeah and actually the the that. the person that was uh, at the time had then ceo of, of the Locker was a gentleman that had been at disney previously and that's how they knew yeah. us because we had done projects so he was already in the world of like mixing art with uh, an and atmosphere he was a, he wanted to create a theme park retail like when you go to a, mm. a retail experience in a theme park mm. it's very different than if you went to a regular retail store right right, right. so he wanted to find some way to make it be fun to make it be engaging to take the um, the pain the 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 frustration frustrating parts of the shopping experience away and just have it be pleasant and and fun and bright and engaging and tell a story mm-hmm. and so what we did was we learned more about the customers we understood what their frustrations were what their challenges were why they were coming in the store in the first place and we got them into a a, a state Where they were in a better mood when they came into the store you know one of the things i teach in my business uh, about customer experience is that if you want to uh, get the results that you want you have to reverse engineer the entire process right Mm -hmm. so i say that the attitude plus the behaviors equal the results so if you want to get those specific results you have to make sure that the people are doing the right behaviors that'll get those results and then you have to have the right attitudes or they won't do the behaviors at all. So if we wanted them to buy more stuff, we had to put them in the right mood. We had to change the attitude when they came into the store. You don't know what was happening in their life before they entered that store. Just like we don't know what's happening when someone comes to our website or when someone reads an email. So how do we bring them in? What's the story? What's the way that we engage them more fully so that we can influence that attitude the right way and create an experience that we know will then drive the right behaviors to get them the most wanted results.
0: So this brand asked you to do that for the physical shops, right? Not Correct. for internet.
1: It was for the physical stores, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, but it works anywhere. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's on- Even on the on, website. On, on anything. Hmm. So your website is your retail store. Like when someone walks into your store, you can tell a lot of stories because you have the walls and the ceiling and the lights and the carpeting and the flooring and the smell and the, the, and the music. But when they come to your website, if you don't have a store, that is your store. You have to put as much thought, in my opinion, into that as you would into the way your store looks. So you know, what are, why are people coming? What is it that you're gonna to do to take them on a journey? So when people entered that store, what we did is we made, it, we made it so that people had a natural tendency where they knew where to go. They knew that they should go this way. And so the way that the store was designed and all the merchandise was laid out, people followed a specific path through the store that we knew that they would have the right experience. And we had media, audio, video, lighting, scent, all sorts of sensory stimulation to help influence the attitude that they were having so we could drive those right behaviors. And the result was that they had a 400% increase in sales. And in that's- Wow.
0: Yeah. But so when they asked you to do that, I mean, at the beginning, were you confident you could have this
1: kind of results? Because it was a new world for you to explore, right? We were confident, they, the goal wasn't, a 400% increase. The goal was to increase the sales and have a better shopping experience. And so, but we were confident was that we could tell a story that would get people more engaged. You know, why do people buy sneakers? Because they wanna play a sport and there's different kinds of sneakers for different kinds of sports. And if they're excited about that, one of the ways to do that is to get them excited about that sport. So one one of the pieces of media that we had was called Heartbeat and when you were in the store you'd walk in and you would just start hearing boom 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 boom. it was a heartbeat sound and it would start getting a little faster and the lights would change in the store and it would focus your attention on different uh, displays and then the media on the TV would start changing and it was getting your heart rate elevated the music and the sound would start to get you and lift you up like you felt more energized after that three-minute piece of media Finished, you go to the gym, you listen to music when you're on the treadmill. It helps, right? right? Yeah, it's the same idea. Right, and so now we're getting them. They're in an athletic shoe store. They come in. Who knows what what was going on? We were bringing them in and getting them excited and so putting them in a good mood. What did you do, for example? Like that video, like that. We. So you put a video. Put okay. Videos at the entrance. At the entrance. Yeah. So at the ent- Well, it 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 was all throughout. So in different places, we had. It was like good pro video, but uh, before them. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So we had another one called. um Uh, Heart, uh, we had heartbeat, we had balls. And so it was all these like different balls in sports like tennis and soccer, football, racquetball, you know, all sorts of sports that use balls. And then we would sell rackets and balls and the right kinds of shoes for that. And it just, it would, I'm, I'm telling you the energy of the shopper that was in there when they would experience these media, they would be more engaged, they were more excited. They were in that buying mood. We worked with other people after that Uh, We would put in um, in in department stores for example like in Macy's I don't know if you're familiar with Macy's department store It's a very large chain of department stores throughout the United States They have different areas and departments and one of the things that we did was in the swimsuit area Mm -hmm. we would put the smell of Suntan lotion Uh, and the beach and we would have fans that were gently blowing what is uh, the, the, the smell of a beach if if you ever ever like had like Hawaiian tropic suntan lotion, yeah, okay, it has like like, very like the sea. scent, yes. yeah, it has like it has like a mm. I don't know how to describe it, but when you smell it, you're like oh the beach, it's so, so it was oil. putting you in a very like small like and it made you think of the beach and want to be there, and the lights in that area were brighter, so it felt warm, mm. right, and so that changes your attitude, and the sound in that area was beach waves crashing people bought more swimsuits. Because we're putting you in that place. And we're here in Park City, Utah. We're outside snowing. If this whole area was really warm and there were swimsuits and I had that scent and you'd be buying a bathing suit, you know? I mean, that's what happens. And so we work really hard to take that client, understand who they were, what was important, what the products we were, and to match up. How do you tell that story in a three-dimensional theatrical way that really makes them engage with it? And so that was the secret to our success was understanding that client and we not it wasn't only retail I mentioned a couple of retail examples. We did it with financial institutions, banks, corporations inside their offices but So that's so interesting. Uh,
0: so you started in 1998, right? 1997 1997 and so you how long did it take for you to, to, to have this 400% increase for this customer like one year?
1: He, he not yeah. I mean, the 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 four hundred percent increase was like almost immediate. It was in like three months. So it was your first customer. It was my second customer technically, but it was my first big customer. Uh, okay, and so it was very successful. And yeah. then you did the big. Begin... So we did a pilot. That we, we did one store. Oh, then you did all the and stores. Then they did another pilot because they didn't believe. I mean, it, I wouldn't have believed it either, right? It was like, okay, this is crazy. How great this worked. It was a fluke. We thought, oh my God, it can't be right. So then we said, let's try it again. So we did another one and we had the same results. Mm. And then we're like, okay, we got to test the third. Like, so then we went and we did a third one and we had the same results. Then we rolled it out to hundreds of locations around the world. And that's when my business was born, right? I was like me. On-site doing stuff. I was literally so you were everything you were alone I had a couple other designer friends We were all working together on the prototypes and then once they decided they wanted to, to roll this out to lots of locations They hired my company Which was at the time just me to do that and then I immediately had to hire a full staff And I mean I was 20 four years old, 25 wow, years were old, so I you know anything wow. yeah. about business per se. I had always been fairly successful and I've had a few entrepreneurial things, but it was me and a buddy and we made some money. You know, it wasn't like a, a company. And so all of a sudden I was forced into this and I was like any good entrepreneur, I was like, yeah, yes, let's do it, you know? So I signed a contract and then the next thing I knew I had to hire a whole staff. And within two or three weeks, was it was three weeks I had I had 30 or 40 team members because I needed that. three weeks? And so the way I did that, and most people always say, wow, how did you do that? Exactly. And the way I do everything is theater. So I went to all the theater schools where I knew that kids were graduating because there's a language, there's a work ethic, there's a culture, and there's there's something that's so interesting about theater and, and I, if you look and you do any kind of research on theater and business there's a lot on that like using theatrical practices when it comes to business is amazing you have it's like you talk about the 80 20 a lot right. there's a lot of that when you think about those the connection there and obviously i'm talking about the storytelling side of theater but also the business side of theater one of the interesting things was a study done by Oh gosh, who did the study? I think it was the BBC actually, but I may be wrong. I may be misquoting, but they studied, they looked at uh, film, video uh, production companies and theatrical production companies versus regular businesses. And they found that they were far more productive than any other business unit in the world because the roles and the responsibilities of all the different departments in theater, film, television were so clear that the teams could like, with broadcast, they have to fly in for an emergency, a hurricane's happening, they have to get there and do it instantly, and they do flawlessly. And it's because they're so clear on what their roles and their job descriptions and what their responsibilities are, And that's what happens. So I brought in all theater people. I didn't know all this back then. I just inherently, I knew theater. I knew theater schools. I went to people that I knew there and I looked for employees and that's what I did. I hired stage managers, lighting technicians, scenic design, carpenters, people that learned how to do backstage theater stuff. And that's what I did. I hired them all and then I trained them. And then we did it. And that's how it worked. And most of my companies, have always been focused on having people from the world of theater. We expanded at some point, I mean, we got to the point where we had over 1500 employees and subcontractors, it wasn't all theater people. But at the beginning, when we started out, it was. So it's such an
0: amazing story of, because you know, one of the thing, you're supposed to do to be creative and have new ideas is to just to look at what is very common in one industry and to, to bring it to a new industry sure. where it's absolutely not common. It's absolutely. exactly what you did.
1: Yeah, it's but so I didn't not intentionally. It was accidental. Yeah, it was at accidental. The time, it was all accidental. Yeah. And honestly, I didn't realize it. I, a good friend of mine, actually, one of the books on your reading list, Accidental Genius by Mark Levy, Mark Levy, who was my former C- chief marketing officer, ultimately, but a good friend of mine, he said to me, as the mar- as the marketer, he said, do you realize what our specialty is? And I said, no, I, I, what are you talking about? We were trying to figure out our positioning and our branding and how we were gonna talk about ourselves. And it was that we use theater. Like I didn't even talk about it back then because I didn't realize it was special. It's just all I knew because I had grown up in that world. And so now today I tell people, like I'm saying, I use theater to drive that, but you, I didn't even you You to engineer yourself, actually. I, I, yeah, and, and, and I'll tell you like, it's a great story, right? You know, zero to a lot of money, whatever. But here's the thing. We struggled a lot in the beginning. In the first several years, you know, we had this great success with Foot Locker and then it, it fell apart, you know. We, oh, we, they this, oh, this, this stopped working with you? We, we did all their stores. Uh-huh. And so what I didn't know, this is the learning how to do business, is that you always have to be selling. You have to bring in new clients. Right. And so I had this big staff. We just finished the last store. Was like, oh, And you didn't think in advance that you should. I didn't ask. even know. What, how would I know? I That's know kind anything. of
0: cute because now yeah. I'm sure you look at it, you're like,
1: <laughs> right? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. It, I mean, it, at the time I wanted to die. I mean, literally I was freaked out. I was, I, I didn't want to fire anybody. I had spent so much time, I loved the team and I saw it as failure and it was, I had, fa- I had failed them as a leader in the business, not kind of thinking about that. And so when I went to go out and start selling, and trying to get clients. I went out with a corporate kind of PowerPoint presentation and I would try and sell and you know, go to meetings and, and tell them what, how we could help them. And I talked about you know putting televisions in and, and how to use televisions and media to make more sales. I wasn't talking about experience. I wasn't talking about outcome and results. I was selling features, not benefits. Oh, I didn't understand. Which is a big, big mistake. Right? That a lot of entrepreneurs do. I day. didn't even realize it. I was talking, so, you know, they would be like, oh, well, how many TVs would you put in? Who cares? Right. Exactly. If you need a thousand TVs to get this result, it's a thousand. If you need five, it's five. It's not about those features. And I didn't understand that at that time, but that's what I was selling. And I was getting zero clients. Mm. And that's when Mark. Even though you had these amazing results with Foot Lockers, Which is why I got the meetings. That's why they spoke to me, but yeah. they didn't buy.
0: They weren't were convinced.
1: They didn't even understand, you know what I mean? It was a new, uh, new approach and, and, and it, was, it was not understood and nobody totally trusted the numbers because it was huge results. Um, and I wasn't selling the results. I was selling what we did. Like they would say, so what did you, like?" just like you asked me, well, what did you do? Oh, we had TVs and we had this media. And So I'd talk about that. They weren't saying like, so why did you do it? And what were the results of doing it? Like How did that change their business? I, that's all I should have been talking about how it changed their right. business, right. not about how we did it. Once I explained how it changed their business, then we could have gone into how we did it. But I didn't do that. I didn't know, I didn't understand. And so, so anyway, so he 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 was trying to help me understand, and that's when he's the hotel of Peter. Accidental genius. Yeah, 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 Mark, and uh, who's an amazing uh, guy. He's an amazing magician and creative and uh, strategy, amazing dude. Um, we'll have to help uh, next time you're in New York. We'll we'll grab dinner with him or something. It'll be oh yes,
0: it's uh, pleasure, yeah.
1: But um, maybe you can interview him. He's uh, amazing. Um, but anyway, so the the thing with him was he was like it's that theater it's that storytelling it's that it's that backstage magic that like that is behind the scenes that makes that front stage client experience happen and he was the one that helped me like understand that we were different we were different than other people people always said you guys are so different but we didn't know why like we We just we were too close to it, you know, we just couldn't see it. And you couldn't see what the competition was doing. We didn't. We we had no idea. And so so then we started testing that. And he said this also. He said he said, if you want to sell experience, you need to do it. You can't just talk about it. You have to walk the walk. And so one of the problems with I would go in with a corporate PowerPoint presentation. That's not theater, that's not engaging, that's not storytelling. So the idea was to create like a a mock shop. So, well, we you know like we wanted to have like you know uh, this like kind of meta thing. So like as we were selling them or or introducing ourselves to them, they were actually having an experience. So they could experience what we might do with their clients. And so what we started to do, uh, the the what we realized also is that um, working with a, a referral partner. Was always the best way. Someone that had a relationship with the end client that would sell, uh, that would hire us. So, for example, if Footlocker was going to hire us, they were usually working with an architect or a branding agency that was helping them come up with the new store design first. And so they could then refer us in. So we could much more easily get to the architect than we could to the right decision maker at that big company. Right. Makes so sense. we started going after that middleman, if you will, that, that And the middleman can recommend you more than one time. And the yeah. third party endorsement from that middleman is more valuable than me going direct, right? It's social proof. Right. Right? I didn't know that it was called that back then, but now and I And authority too. And authority, exactly. So the positioning of that was massive. And I and I, I didn't Today I realize that, but I didn't realize it back then. So anyway, so what we did, the way that they took meetings as architects was that they had these things called lunch and learns. So someone would come in, they'd buy like a tray of sandwiches for the team and then the team would eat lunch and you could talk to them for 20 minutes while they were eating lunch. That's how anyone that was going into architect's offices could get an audience with them and so what we did instead of buying a tray of sandwiches we created what we called the sushi and learn experience so we had a sushi chef come in and make it fresh and literally roll it in the room and we had a whole uh, story and experience around it and where other, like not competitors, but other people that would do lunch and learns and these architects, they would get like four or five of like the junior associates, the lower level architects in the space. We were getting the the CEOs, like the the partners, the highest level, because they were like, oh my gosh, like they're fresh sushi. They're doing this whole thing. And there was music playing and we had branded napkins. The chef came in and he had our logo was on his hat and his on his uh, his jacket and he was in costume and we were in uh, uh, our costume with our logos and everything. and and it was just very dialed in and what would happen before that we would research all of their projects and so as we were explaining some concepts we would use images and pictures and things that we found on the internet about their projects so we would use those as examples so they were paying more attention and what would inevitably happen is they would end up asking us at the end of that like it, it was supposed to be 20 minutes it would end up being like an hour and a half so we'd have their undivided attention. They we're literally shutting down their business for like an hour and a half. They were all in this room, and we'd end up at some points with like standing room only because everyone would just keep coming in to see what was going on. It was amazing. And then they would say at the end, we would offer up, listen, if you have any projects that you'd just like some ideas, we'll brainstorm with you for free. Here, we'll sign up for a 30 minute consult for free with everyone. Now, this is kind of what we do online today, but we were doing it in physical, in in the real world, and we would would sit there for hours and hours afterwards, having them, one at a time, come in and talk about their projects, tell us what their challenges were, what their problems were, what they were trying to accomplish with them. We'd go back, come back with a proposal, and they'd introduce us to the client. And we started growing like crazy. But it was because we understood that we had to walk the walk. If we were gonna sell experience, we had to provide an experience.
0: you wouldn't have understand these so fast without this mentor
1: who had the mentor a mentor coach like we're at a mastermind now right yeah, I mean, exactly. like, and, and everyone's a mentor to me it's in our group in a different way right in a different area of our lives um i've told you how much you've you've helped me so much as well just in understanding so much about my schedule my 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 time management and and, and productivity and uh, it's been amazing and so it, it, i think there's nothing better than having like a mentor like that. And you don't even know always that someone that is a mentor is doing that until, you know, all of a sudden you realize it afterwards. Like I didn't know yeah, that I exactly. was going to be able to do that. Mm. You know, and uh, it was one conversation and it was, a, it was just a random conversation about- 100 million dollars
0: conversation. <laughs> it, it really was. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, it, was. Yeah, it was. One of the most valuable conversations of my life. But so you transform yourself into a good salesman. With that, you didn't have to hire anyone to walk the walk and convince the customers. I,
1: I mean, ultimately, we ended up hiring more salespeople. But I would have—I never thought of myself as a salesperson. I thought of sales as a bad thing. Right? It was d- dirty or slimy or sleazy. And what I learned—I was doing it for my clients, but I wasn't doing it myself. Was that it was about serving like I and we didn't go in there. We gave them all those conversations, all those those 30 se- uh, minute brainstorming sessions. If they hired us great. If they didn't, okay. We were delivering value in advance. You know, in the internet world, we we have a lead magnet or something to give them some something of value in exchange for their email address. So we have permission to have a conversation and to keep re- deepening that relationship. There's nothing smarmier, I mean, with with good people. I mean, I'm sure there are bad people out there, but the intention is to do something that's positive, to create value in advance, to be serving your audience. And that's what I, I help my clients do is, how do you create an amazing experience for your clients? How do you understand what they need? How do you anticipate their needs before they even know what they are? That's serving. And so we focused only on serving. We didn't have to sell, we just served. And then they would ask us for, uh, for uh, how do we hire you? And we'd say, oh great, if you were interested in talking about that, that's fantastic. You know, actually, we, I did a presentation yesterday, right? And right. in the middle of the presentation, I said, well, how do we just hire you to do this? And that was not my intention. And I even said, like, that's not what this is about. But it's because of your serving. You're just genuinely
0: there. And actually, it's, it's very rare, but you got a standing ovation. And in this group, it's rare. I mean, yeah, you know, it was, I didn't it see, I, I don't even remember seeing it before. I'm sure it happened but it was a long time ago. Yeah. So. But
1: but it was uh, again I knew the people in that room and you've seen me do a similar presentation right, in before, Thailand, yeah. But I but I I tailored it to this group. I customized it based on the conversations we were having so that it touched specific people and it referenced conversations that we had so that it was more relevant to them because it was to be in service of this room. And so that's how I teach people to do this for their clients all across the board. And that's how we grew. We grew by being interested in our clients, not trying to be interesting and show off to them. It wasn't about us being better or smarter or anything else. It was being interested in how can we help you bring your business to the next level. How can we help you connect more with your clients? And I think for any business, if you can serve them, like I think you, you're a phenomenal example, the way that you try and help entrepreneurs live the life of their dreams, have the freedoms that they most want, make money, make impact, you're serving them. You're detached from what they well, want. I hope so. <laughs> well, well, you are, I mean, and I see it all the time and I'm, I'm so impressed by what you've done and what you continue to do, but that's the same thing. It's that ethic that I think is so important. Mm. And most people don't do that. That's a rare talent, I believe, mm. so. Um, yeah, and so
0: when it started to when you started to do this method to convince prospect and uh, referrals to like uh, hire you, when was that? What year?
1: So probably two thousand and one, two thousand and
0: two. Okay, so it was quite fast. I mean, because you started in nineteen ninety seven. Nineteen ninety seven. So it took you four to five years to really understand how to really sell uh, what you were doing. So it means before you were like surviving, but you told me you, you were doing like three millions a year, right, Around, more or less.
1: We had, we, you know, the first year, we went up like this. We finished all the Foot Locker stuff then we went down like this, then we got another project, then we went down like this, then we got another project, maybe another project, then we went down. Because we weren't able to get that consistency. So it's not like we never sold anything, but we went on a lot of meetings. And the other thing that we were doing that we learned that we did very differently was that in order to get a project or a client or, or whatever, um, we spent a lot of time working on it for free for them, giving them ideas, giving them prices, giving them, uh, you know, all the stuff before they hired us. And at some point, um, we stopped doing that because we spent so much time. So we would maybe have like nine prospects all out there and we would spend so much of our resource, like trying to figure out what could we do, presenting things, coming up with ideas, all of this stuff to hopefully get their business.
0: It wasn't working too much. It
1: wasn't. We maybe get one out of nine, maybe. Okay. And I think we, it was probably more like one out of fourteen ultimately. You know what wow. I mean? And so, that, thankfully, that one was big enough that it would help fill in the void. But we weren't moving forward. We were just barely treading water. Like it was very hard. Did you have to so um, uh, fire people? I never fired anybody.
0: Awesome! High five!
1: Wow! But I also didn't pay myself anything for a very long time and really? money out of my savings to keep them. Uh, as employees. How come do you have
0: you had so much savings? Because your
1: previous jobs was really... When I when I worked on the road uh touring you make quite a bit of money, you have no expenses. So So for how many years you, you didn't pay yourself? Uh I probably didn't pay myself for the better part of two years. I mean, there may have been a check in between somewhere, mm. but I, you know, I really didn't. I might have run a couple expenses through the business as well, like paid for you know, gas or something like that, but I wasn't taking a, a regular salary, and I was taking money out of my savings in the, in the, the, the empty times to keep the payroll going. Wow. Uh, but I believed in what we were doing, I just didn't understand exactly what that formula was. It's like I knew the value we were creating. Like every project we did had great results for our clients, We just couldn't get enough projects. We couldn't get the same results for ourselves that we were getting for our clients. We were so close to it. And that's when, like, when Mark came in and explained that and helped me see that, you know, it's like I needed a fresh brain. I say this to people all the time, you need a fresh brain at the table. You need a new set of eyes that are not they're not glossed over. You don't see things clearly when you're so close to them sometimes. So having an outside let's when we come here, we, we do hot seats, we share exactly. it's like it's a way to Yeah, it's a yeah. way to step out and get another set of eyes and eye brains on it. And you know, it, you could have the same exact problem for yourself and that someone else has, and you could see it for them, but you can't see it for yourself. You can yes. give them great advice. Actually, our friend Ricardo often says like, if you have a hard time making a decision or whatever, it's because it's about the emotions of it, because it's you. And if you think about a friend or someone else and help help them with that advice, it takes the emotion away. You can it's make It's a good decision. hack. Yes. It's a great hack. Just imagine
0: yourself uh, no, like someone else that has to make the same decision as you with the same amount of effort.
1: Yeah, it's not perfect, but it, it, helps, it helps a lot of the time, yeah. yeah. so. Um, it's it's an interesting thing but we we were up and down and up and down, and i i couldn't uh, we call it porpoising, right you know like uh like the fish you know and we we just uh we we it was stressful yeah i imagine I was, that i, I mean' was, uh especially when you don't pay yourself yeah i mean i was i was fortunately i was okay, but i was stressed mm. and uh and I was worried and i was you know um it's that entrepreneurial journey you know like you, you and i was not sure in the early days that I was cut out for it. I, I, I questioned myself all the time and, and, you know, I say now I knew that we had a, a good business and I know that I felt that somehow or I wouldn't have been taking money out of my savings but I don't think I ever said that. Mm. You know, I was worried mm. and I was hiding it and I was just fighting, I was working more hours, more hours, more hours. Uh, but what I did was I went in to, uh, I had a mentor I had a coaching group that I was in. I went to conferences. I read, so you were looking for help. I was looking for growth, knowledge, help, whatever. And I leaned on a lot of people. That's how I found Mark. I didn't know Mark initially. I met him through a friend, through a group at the time was called YEO, Young Entrepreneurs Organization, which is now EO, which is a global organization of entrepreneurs, amazing group. And um, my good friend, Kevin Daum from that group introduced me to Mark. And it was just like, you know, boom, and Mark's a theater person. He's a professional magician, you know, and so he was another theater person that came in, but understood marketing incredibly well, branding, positioning, strategy. Uh, So he gave you everything you needed. He was amazing. Yeah, I mean, truly amazing. And I just, uh, I mean, I'm so grateful, but after we had that understanding, it's not like everything was like perfect, but right. things started getting better and better. And then we packaged all the things we were doing for free for everyone, we packaged into a process and we sold the ability to do that work that we were doing for free as a, as a project at that point. So we weren't doing it for free any longer. So at that point, you know, instead of doing this work hoping that they'd hire us and we'd make money on the back end, what they ended up doing was they would hire us and they would pay us like $100,000 for the design. And so once we were able to shift But you, that,
0: you, you still did the free sushi meal?
1: We would do the free sushi meal to Just get to show clients. the experience, yeah. Yeah, and then, but then we had so many people that would then call us. They thought of us for projects because they had already had that sushi experience. So we did that with new, new people to bring them in. We didn't have to keep doing that with old people. Then we said, okay, well, how do we keep furthering those relationships? It was by making them look good, by creating great quality ideas and concepts and, and such. And so, you know, we ended up with a suite of um, core referral partners, like the 80/20. You know, 80 percent of our business came from 20 yes, percent. And the you, with that, we didn't have to convince new people all the time because they already knew you. And they would tell their clients that they got, and it was amazing. And and it, it just worked. And and incidentally, at the time, I had a blog. Yeah, really? I did. Yeah, I did not. So you uh, mean what 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 year? Like is 2005-ish. Okay, so it was called the Anatomy of Wow. And the idea. I love the title. Yeah, yeah. Is it still online? I don't think I, I sold it when I sold the business. Ah, right okay, now. okay. But uh, but the idea, and I and I wrote a book at the time called Meaningful Wow, and it was the same kind of brand and connection. And what we did on this blog was we talked about. Um, the great work that different architects were doing that were wow that were creating wow experiences for people. And so we would be promoting those people that were also promoting us their work and we would comment on it as an expert in a customer experience and they would drive traffic there and because we were a third party telling future clients for them how great their work so they were getting more business that way and then bringing us in mm-hmm. and it really worked nicely. Wow. Yeah. So so 2001 it began to really grow. 2005 you
0: it, it accelerated?
1: Yeah, accelerated.
0: And so you told me like basically you went from 3 million to 150 in three years, right? At the end.
1: How it was? aggregated more towards the end. So like 2005 is when it really started. Like, I mean, it was going fast, but it's when it started going straight up, right? Like, yeah, like rocket ship growth. And, and a few things happened, but, um, but it was from that point forward that we started getting massive momentum. Massive momentum, because um, just everything was in place art I had become a very different person. Mm-hmm. I was now more of a leader mm-hmm. than I was a micromanager in the beginning, mm-hmm. um, and I was really developing much more business skills in different areas. I had brought in an amazing team of a leadership team, and they each owned their own parts of the business, I owned my part of the business, you know, and we we were all working really well together. And we added more um, of the right structure and processes and systems and things that we, uh, as we added more and more of that, we got better and better and more efficient, and uh, yeah, it just... Uh, it's so
0: how did you leave these amazing growth? Was it not too stressful? Because you had to scale everything to I'm sure to hire a lot of people, to train them. I mean everything was like multiplied, right? How many people did you have at this time?
1: Uh I'm guessing, but probably probably sixty to seventy full-time employees and then I don't know, several hundred subcontractors. Mm. And then um and then we we were like literally doubling after that, you know, doubling like every internal like every year like every double, year. Every year. Because, wow, because the and that's when we got into trouble. This is where we got into trouble financially. That's why you ask, yeah, because yeah. usually so, it's not easy to go like that. It's not, and we took all the profits from the company and have to keep reinvesting all of them. Mm-hmm. And the growth from the sales and the more work that we were doing, there just it was so much that we could, the profits weren't enough to fund the growth and we were gonna go into bankruptcy. So what did you do? I had to sell the company. I went out. Oh, you you couldn't like just get loans from the banks? I I was fully leveraged. And we were super profitable. It wasn't that we weren't positive, we just didn't have the cash flow. And you couldn't just stop the growth a little bit? We could have stopped the growth.
0: Yeah, but you didn't want to. No. So you sold the company, so you wanted also, (laughs) were you a bit tired of the
1: adventure? I was exhausted. That's fair. Right. But what I, what we tried to do was to bring in an investor, not to sell it, and we couldn't. Everyone wanted to buy it. We had a bidding war between multiple companies that wanted to buy it, but they wanted to buy all of it and 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 then they wanted to have you at the top. Of... Yes, of course. But was it something that was interesting for you? It was because the promise was then to expand and open offices around the world and to and to do and through mergers, and I mean, we had offices in certain places. I think at the time we had a lot of offices in the US, maybe like six or seven, and we had an office in the UK, we had an office in Asia, but we didn't have all throughout the rest of Europe and whatever. And then we, when we brought on the new company, we ended up with offices in 15 cities around the world. Like it was like very quick, you know, but, um, So the idea of also doing mergers and acquisitions, we started buying some businesses that were in key geographic locations where we needed a presence because we already had some clients and we didn't have local talent to service them, who had client relationships, who had good staff and team members, who culturally would fit with our organization. So um, it was good, Uh, great learning experience. I was excited about, I had not done a lot of uh, purchases of other companies. Most of my experience, I had sold a business or two, but I never bought a business. So it was exciting for me, from the lear- I'm a learner, right? I love learning, so it was exciting to be able to go out and learn about the buying process, about doing business, really do, I mean, we did business in that we did installations and we did client work in different countries, but we never had a business that was based in another country. So like, like the cultures and the customs, like I was excited about all of that. And so I was, I was okay with it. But what I didn't realize was that I would completely lose control of my baby, and that I would no longer really have a say. I was CEO, but it was not the same as when it was my company.
0: So, because you started alone, right? Your company was 100% yours. Correct. So you sold it for a very good price, I'm sure. Yep. Because you're supposed to sell it like two or three times the, rev- the annual revenue, right?
1: Well, no, it was a it was a deal based on the EBITDA, uh, based on the earnings before interest is tax,
0: okay. So it was so not on revenue; it was on profits.
1: Yeah, essentially, yeah.
0: Okay, but still.
1: Yeah, and it was a good multiple. I mean, we did well. Uh, no, no, no question. But. Um, but
0: and the deal was so you you didn't uh, uh, take any any um, part of the company anymore. You sell. You sold every. I sold one hundred percent of the company, and then they paid me. Well, why you didn't our, want to sell? Like, I don't know. Sixty percent and
1: keep. 40% they would. They, that's what we wanted to do. We oh. wanted. We want. Well, we wanted to sell forty percent and keep sixty percent. Right. But they wouldn't do that. Mm. Um, but basically, so I sold a hundred percent of the company. I took. I don't remember the percentages at the moment, but I. I, I took. Let's say sixty percent in cash and forty percent in stock in the new business of that company. Mm-hmm. So, that's. But my forty percent that I took was maybe like. Seven percent of there, yeah, right, yeah. 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 So you know what I mean. So like it was, you did, yeah. yeah, whatever it was. And you had a voice, but not the majority. I had a whisper. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whisper. <laughs> okay. So yeah, it wasn't a full voice. So anyway, but so hey, yeah, it, I'm it,
0: sure it's yeah. not so easy to go from a place where you can make all the decisions to one when you're supposed to follow, like not maybe not orders, but at least strategic like, guidelines on this kind of stuff, right?
1: It's hard, I mean, there's a lot of things. So number one, for me, it was my first really big business that I built that was mine, and my identity was tied up in that business. So if you would ask me, who are you? I would say, oh, I'm that company. Mm -hmm. And so now it's not mine anymore, and and it's making decisions on its own without me. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it was hard, you know? And to this day, I still think I have a little post-traumatic stress disorder from that, you know? (laughs) Because it was my baby, and it then, you know, gone. So there was that. There was also the challenge of, um, the, our business was all about our customers. And for those people, it was all about the bottom line, all about- Give me the profits. Yeah. yeah, and in every little aspect. And so we made bets on our clients. We made bets on like, if we do more right now and, and take a little less profit on this, it's gonna help them, they're gonna have better success, it'll come back to us later. Mm. And that was not okay anymore. So it fundamentally shifted our, our way of being with those clients, and it was a big problem, yeah. So um, it, it changed everything. Like everything changed when we did that. And some things for the better, for sure. Like, you know, we had, like I said, we were able to expand on a, on a global footprint much better. They had a lot of experience in acquisitions. Like, we bought, I don't know, probably a, a few companies, I don't remember how many, smaller companies, we bought them for no money. I didn't know you could buy a company for zero dollars. Because they were not
0: profitable, right?
1: They were not profitable and oh, they the owners, were maybe bankrupt? They were they weren't necessarily bankrupt, but they were not making a lot of money. Like they might have had like zero profit after they paid the owner. And the owner was stressed. And so we could give the owner a salary and keep their people on and absorb them in. And the owner could still make money and not have the stress of worrying about making payroll. And I mean, they solved our problem, we solved their problem. Everyone was a win-win. And it was supposed to be the same when
0: they bought you. And, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> So how long did you stay as a CEO?
1: So I stayed for, I, say, I tell people two years, but it was really like a year and a half. Wow. When you look at the actual time frame, it was about a year and a half. And it was less. not supposed to be like that when you did it. I had a contract for five years. So what happened? So I resigned. So you went to see them, you said, I, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, I resigned. And then um, uh, we had a client at the time who insisted that I be involved or, or they were not going to continue on. So I made a, an agreement with them that I would work with just that client for two more years uh, to complete that contract. So as
0: a, like external consultant?
1: Yeah, I was a, essentially as an external consultant. And uh, it was for Stanford University was the client. And oh. so. Um, so we did that, and then. So uh, they wanted to incentive students to study more. No, we we helped. We were helping them raise money. We were doing a oh. campaign to raise six billion dollars for the university, which wow. we did. We successfully completed That's it, but amazing. they didn't want to lose that uh, me. Right. And I that was one of the few clients that I was personally involved in on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Um, so at any event, so we um, we we finished that contract, and then they sued me for leaving early.
0: What? <laughs> yeah. Oh really?
1: Yeah, we spent two years in a lawsuit after that. So did you win? Did you lose? It was nobody won. It was a it was a mess. It was to die. It was a long, everyone stressful experience. Money. Everyone lost money. Everyone lost time. It was not a good experience. Yeah.
0: And you had this uh, non-competitive.
1: Uh, uh, and so yeah, and so I had a non-compete agreement that essentially yeah. took me through uh, 2016. So. So not so long ago. So I could yeah. So I couldn't do anything, anything. related to customer experience. Anything related to marketing, anywhere, anywhere in now. the world. So That's super wide. That was a lot of money. They paid a lot of money. And in the oh, but did they, the they pay you. I mean, well, they paid me when they bought the company. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. I mean. Okay. So,
0: how is it to have created this so amazing company to resign from it because you don't agree anymore with the direction, and to basically have a lot of
1: money, but. Nothing to do. I mean, I, I, I had a few other businesses, but you know, I could do the marketing for those businesses, but I couldn't do marketing for others. So um, it was fine uh, in that I was still busy, uh, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do, like big picture. And what were the businesses you you had? So I had a, a medical diagnostics company. We help people with narcolepsy, sleep apnea, restless. What? Syndrome. <laughs> And I had a... Oh my God, what else? <laughs> and I had a driving business where I... Uh, what? I race car driving but you
0: were not the, the, like the uh, main owner there. You were like which? an investor,
1: right? No, 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 I was the main owner of both of those. And the CEO too? I was the CEO of the driving business. I was the... So you're like a, a mini Elon Musk, in a way. No. <laughs> you you manage different was. companies at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I have done a little bit of that, but I wouldn't consider myself an Elon Musk. But I definitely. Uh, but
0: was it a hobby for you, or
1: uh, I need? To, I this? like working. Really. I like. I, you like to do lots of things, you <laughs> yes. know. I I like to. I do like to work. Like I, I enjoy it most of the time. So you like Erico? We said uh, my surname is Rook. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, I like to. Since I've had children, I think that's changed a little bit. Um, But I I like to work, I like to feel productive, I like to help other people. And the way I see my businesses, I help create jobs for my employees and my team members. I help uh, create value for the clients that I work with. And now, I mean, my passion is helping entrepreneurs transform their lives, just like you. I just do it a slightly different way, right? I work with entrepreneurs that are really trying to build businesses and companies. um, And, you know, I mean, any entrepreneur, really. But I used to help mostly larger companies. So now it's about entrepreneurs. And so for me, to be able to help them grow and have those freedoms, that's awesome, right? And that's why you do what you do, too, right? It's It's amazing. amazing. It's an amazing experience doing that. So for me, that makes me happy. So I love doing that. And when we were doing these other businesses, um, you know, the teen driving business, the number one killer of teenagers in the United States of America is motor vehicle crashes because they don't know how to handle their car. They don't have the skills to make good decisions and to know what to do. And so that seemed like a worthy cause to help, you know? So, but you you
0: had a profitable business in that?
1: Yeah, and we sold it. Because what what, what was the product you were selling? So we sold events. So we had race car drivers that really know how to do car control. Oh, so it was like an experiential learning, right? So we would take them to large like football stadium parking lots and we would set up obstacle courses and skid pads and show them how to manage and manipulate their vehicle. It was a lot of fun. So we put them through a six hour intensive clinic and they would leave with a lot more awareness, like Imagine that I told you to never let this happen and I never explained to you what this was. Like they didn't have a picture of what, like if their car was really going out of control, they didn't know what it looked like, they didn't know what it felt like. So when they get into that situation for the first time when they don't have a parent or, or an instructor next to them, the first five seconds of that was what we call the oh shits you know, mo- moments. Oh, They're shit. panicking. And so they can't recover, they don't even know what to do. So we wanted them to experience that so they got that kind of out of the way and then could start to learn how to, how to handle the car, not be like gripping the steering wheel like, like, like ready to like, you know, white knuckling it. They, they would be calm and they would know how to handle it. And it was changing lives. Like I have like, hundreds and hundreds of testimonials from parents saying, you saved my kid's life. You saved my... I mean, I, 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 it was amazing, but it wasn't where my passion lies, you know what I mean? I was passionate about the mission Mm -hmm. and so we got it to a certain point and then we were able to give it a home with other entrepreneurs that like that is all they want to do for their whole lives. They are absolute like diehards with it. So for me that was amazing experience as well. And that's actually what got me to this mastermind group. Oh, really? Yeah, so we were having a hard time getting the message to enough parents within the region to get them to sign up for the class. I was literally personally going out and speaking on stages at high schools, trying to get them to sign up, and it was killing me. I didn't see my kids. I mean, all the same problems I had with a big, huge company, and I didn't have a big company, and I I was exhausted. And I, I saw Jeff Walker's book, Launch, and I saw, you know what? this I could get my message out and sell these people on the value of this because I had to educate them I needed an hour on stage to educate them on why they should invest the money in this because our program was the driver's education after they already spent money on driver's education and it wasn't required by law what we taught so I needed to educate them and show them the pain points and the dangers and whatever. that's
0: how you wanted to do your first product launch.
1: So my first product launch was that, and it was hugely successful, only from the book. I didn't even buy his program. I had never learned the full program from the video series and whatever that Jeff sells, but it was amazing. And it like, boom, it worked. So then I went and I signed up to buy his course. I ended up at PLF Live, and that's when I signed up for his mastermind. So if I didn't have that business, I wouldn't be here.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Wow, but so you sold this business and the others too?
1: Yep. So now you And I invested in, the, in a whiskey company, as you know, and we sold that. So I've invested in several businesses. I've started and, and built and sold several. I've had a couple that were absolute f- dismal failures, you know? Um, of course, <laughs> I mean. But, uh, but all of it's been a learning experience and it's been a fun ride and, a, and an incredible journey. And now, uh, you know, I get to, I mean, realistically, I get to help entrepreneurs every day of my life, which is, I mean, what's better than that? Because what are you doing now? So I have a company called CX Formula and I help entrepreneurs through online courses, uh, mastermind programs and uh, workshops where we help them learn the ways to use the formula that I kind of created using theater to connect to business, to create raving fans, to create loyal customers, to create systems and processes in your business that deliver wow repeatedly over and over, that give you and empower you with skills, tools, mindset that you need to really think about your business from the customer's perspective instead of from the uh, from the company's perspective, which is a mistake most everybody, myself included, we all make that. We get so stuck on thinking about it from us, we don't see it from there. So I give you systems and tools and, and mindset strategies and things to really shift that perspective and to create a culture about your customers, that's customer-centric instead of company-centric, mm. and that just works 100 percent of the time. And so every one of those strategies that I was able to use from you know, the beginning, before even Mark told me, but then I was able to start to articulate it better, that's what I teach now. And uh, yeah. And so, for people who wants to to know more, they, you yeah, have a website. Yeah, they can go to cxformula.com. Uh yeah, yes. So if you want to,
0: and you also have a YouTube channel, right? I did. I heard.
1: Yeah, this <laughs> so, crazy guy Olivier uh, challenged me to do thirty videos in thirty days. And, and uh, you did it. And I did it. I did it. The first time you didn't do it too much. Yeah. So if you go to that channel, there's uh, there's two. Videos. One of them is called "The Power of Accountability," and that was on June twelfth, two thousand and sixteen. And then there's the Power of Accountability two, which is on December first of two (laughs) thousand and seventeen. Which is so funny. Yeah. And so watch both of those because it's very funny. (laughs) Yeah. And it's this guy's fault. So yeah.
0: So yes. Wait. It was amazing. So to recap, what we can learn from uh, your amazing story. Uh, First, it's very interesting to you know merge different industries because usually what is very common in one is completely uh, unseen or unheard in another, and that's when magic happens, and that's what uh, happened to you. Uh, The importance of a mentor, and it didn't like uh, stumble upon you by chance. You were really looking for help. You said, I was reading books, going to seminars. I was part of coaching groups. So it was a process. You were really
1: looking for Yoda, if I can say that. And And I always uh, am, and I think don't, the one thing with mentors, don't don't lock in that you only have to have one mentor. Like, look for mentors that are in certain areas of things that you need help. Might be in your personal life, relationships, might be in business, might be in just marketing versus, I mean, people think, oh, I have a mentor, I can't talk to anybody else. So don't limit yourself, you know? And, and there are people that can help you with all aspects as well. So just be clear, start to know what you're looking for and then find it. Yeah, absolutely. And
0: yeah, what else? I mean, you, Transform yourself. You
1: reinvented yourself because you were you. You believed in your product, your service. Yeah, the question. Yeah, there was my coach Dan Sullivan asked me a question. I should have mentioned this earlier. The question was, who do you need to become to get everything you want? Wow, that's such a good question.
0: And it's so reverse, like when you compare to what we do, what we think normally it's Absolutely, like yeah right. it's like reverse engineering
1: yeah and so and so that idea got me to, and and for me it was i need to become more of a coach and a leader mm. to be able to get what i wanted not to be this manager and that sh- shift uh changed i mean everything for me from a personal development perspective from that point forward you know, uh, so... Because when you decided to become that, you... That's when I started reading the right books. Yes, exactly. Right, I, because, because you were aiming for something. I was looking for leadership. I was yeah. looking for coaching. Like, what's, what's the difference? And, and, you know, there's a difference between growth and scaling like growing is one thing scaling is another and i didn't know the difference either and so like when you start looking at scaling it's about repetition it's about mo- you know so we were growing and scaling at the same time and i needed to learn what those meant what skills i needed to deal with those what capabilities what team members i needed to bring in but it started from that question that dan asked me you know who do you need to become to have everything you want
0: so you can as is you yourself awesome who needs to become to achieve what you want.
1: Yeah, that's a awesome. powerful question.
0: And also a big focus on customer's experience, obviously.
1: Yeah, focus on, look at everything in your business, everything from the client's perspective. Put yourself in their shoes, see what they see, and be open and honest about it. Don't assume that, it, 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 it's so hard to look at it from a client perspective because sometimes we're doing things that we're not proud of, and to admit that is really hard. Don't beat yourself up, just change it but look at it from their perspective it's really powerful exercise and do, do that with your employees too i didn't mean to cut you off but do that from your employees like look at your team members and and stand in your team member shoes and look at how you as a leader communicate with them and say wow am i communicating with my team the way i would want to be communicated with as well because we miss that piece as well
0: okay wow so You even have something like practical to implement right now in your business to improve customer experience and the team experience, which is awesome. Well, 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 my intelligent rebels, thank you for listening. You are still here, which means you are part of the 15%, the 10%, the 5%, maybe the 2% of people who manage to listen until the end. So you are part of the most motivated listeners. Thank you for this and congrats. Now, we would you like to share the love about this podcast if you like it? If yes, feel free to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform like iTunes or Spotify. It will mean the world for me because it will motivate me to continue to create content to help you create your own adventure in life. And it will help spread the world and reach more intelligent rebels and help them also create their own adventure in life. Thank you in advance if you do it and see you soon. Bye bye.